this is episode 38 of Going Beyond Salvation, and I'm your host, Jess Robinson, and we're continuing on in our daily reading, and we are still continuing to talk about the law a little bit, and um, in, in the book of Exodus, um, and then it, it kind of goes a different way, but so... What ends up happening in in the book of Exodus, um, where we start off, he he talks about in you know, and it we ended with verse nine in, in our talk last time, but so we're starting in chapter twenty three, verse ten, and um the Lord starts giving commands about you know Sabbath laws and and he he goes into detail about it because we remember these people just came out of slavery. They didn't know anything about rest. They didn't know. They just knew slave labor. That's all they knew. And even before the Israelites, God had a plan for a Sabbath day for for his people because we see in in creation he took a Sabbath day. He took one day to rest after creation. And so um, we see, and, you know, in the Sabbath laws that, you know, for, it even included the harvest, it included their crops, their fields were supposed to have a seventh year of rest. And if it's actually been proven that, you know, with farming, you know, I was raised farming wise, we always let one field have a Sabbath year. We rotated crops and everything in the fields because that is what the, you know, my, my grandma came up with it and it actually helped. It helps the nutrients to get back into the field. It's to let it rest, let the animals be in there, let it just grow on its own. Now, when we were farming and stuff, we would still irrigate it to keep it watered because out here in Wyoming, sometimes you have years of drought and stuff and, and not a lot of water. So you, you know, even with your fields, even though you're letting them rest, you still water them, which there's nothing wrong with it. There was, you know, I don't think the Lord had any problem with that, but what it was, was they were just to let the field go. And we also see that he had it set apart so that the, that the crop could just grow on its own, whatever crop was in there originally and had seeded in there. Um, so that the poor, he was giving a means for the poor to have food and, and that, you know, the wild animals could eat from whatever was left. It was a means of providing as well. And... And we will see later on that part of Israel's sin that leads them to into captivity is they did not let the land have rest. They did not obey God's command about letting the land have a Sabbath day of a Sabbath year. And then, you know, he talks about that on the seventh day that we're not to work, including the animals they were to have a day of rest, and which is true, you know, we had animals, we had horses, and 
um, cattle and stuff, you know, and, you know, cattle really you don't do very much with anymore, but horses and stuff, if you're like barrel racing or doing stuff competitively, they need at least one day to rest or you have an increased chance of injury. And so, you know, not only was it for us, it was for animals and for the land. Um, and then he continues, he always continuing to not let other gods before him. And I think it's because, you know, they're going into a new land and, you know, there, there's going to be that temptation of other gods before them. And he's always constantly reminding them that he's the one God and everything. Because, you know, we're going to see that the Israelites were very easily swayed to go worship other gods as we continue on in the Old Testament. Then, you know, in chapter 23, they talk about the three annual festivals. You know, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, um, you know deals with around the time of the Passover. It's a remembrance of them coming out of Egypt. And it's been fulfilled through Christ. You know, when we actually take communion and stuff, we are actually remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. And so that is the the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And see, unleavened or yeast is is associated with with sin and evil and that's why you're going to see that they were not to have any bread with yeast offered up as a sacrifice um just because of of that uh and then continuing on there's the feast of harvest which they were to bring the first fruits of their crops that they sowed in the field and I was actually reading this in my class in the in the book of Acts because we were talking about these particular ones. And see, when Christ, it was interesting because there was the unleavened bread, there's Passover. Then what happens is there's the celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in the field. And so what it is, is you're bringing the first fruits of the crop. And... And as we continue on, when like, as history went on, and the Israelites started doing all this and implementing it, and we see it in Christ's time, what they would actually do is they would actually go and grab, you know, some of the stalks of grain and different stuff and bring that and present it before the Lord. And, um, and so what happened was... Jesus was actually in the grave when they were presenting that. And when he came out, that was, you know, the first fruit, you know. So that was fulfilled. It was actually when he was resurrected. And then um, there was also the, the, the day, of Pentecost, day of Pentecost in Christ's time, which dealt with the harvest. And, you know, when... And, you know, gathering, you know, the crops. And we see this in El Exodus talking about the Feast of Ingathering. It's also known as tabernacles or booths, but there was also the um, Pentecost. 
And see, my study Bible is saying that it was Feast of Weeks for the Feast of Harvest or the Day of Pentecost. But as we continue on, when there is the harvest, the harvest of, of crops, there's also Pentecost, which Pentecost deals with the harvest of souls. In, in Christ's time, that's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened and the church was instituted and there's, it, it deals with the harvest of souls. So he talks about those. Um, so I had to pause the recording and go check my, my feast. And so what it is, is, so there was Passover, you know, and we commemorate Passover with, with Jesus um, with communion this day, um, that was commemorating. Then there was unleavened bread. It started a day after Passover and it ran for seven days and the people were to eat bread made without yeast, hold sacred assemblies and present offerings to God. Um, and Paul, you know, today, you know, Paul urges, you know, in first Corinthians chapter five, that we're to purge out the old leaven and be a new lump since we are truly unleavened. Um, he urged us to keep the old feast, but not with old leaven or the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then, um, then there was first fruits, you know, as we talk about. And that one is where the priest would wave the first sheaf of barley harvest as an offering to God. Um, and no one could eat any fruit of the harvest until this had been done. And so they had to do that. And we'll actually talk about first fruits in Leviticus a little bit more. And then there was Pentecost, but it was also known as the Feast of Weeks, which is, or the Feast of Harvest. So I was messed that up a little bit. But the, what that is, is, you know, it was celebrated 50 days after pa Passover, because that's what pe Pentecost, it refers to 50, the 50th. And it was a day of thanksgiving to God for the harvest. And the priest would wave two loaves of bread made from the first fruits of the wheat harvest. These loaves were to be baked with leaven, the only offering where the symbol of sin was allowed. So the offerings, um, sacrifices, and ceremonies mark the end of the barley harvest and beginning of the wheat harvest. And so first fruits was fulfilled through, you know, Christ rising from the grave. And then Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit, um, which is the, the feast weeks, is when the Holy Spirit comes out and that's dealing with a spiritual harvest, the harvest of souls. And so that is where we get that. Um, so we have the feast and then he, he's always talking about, you know, and those were the three, the three here in 23, the first three feasts, they were, where they were to appear before the sovereign Lord. So they were to go to Jerusalem when, when that happened. Um, he talks about not offering the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing these, because blood is the lifeblood and contains life. And then yeast is a sign 
of of sin. And he's he's going and giving these different deals about you know how different ordinances and stuff how they are to do things, and then he talks about that he's sending his angel to prepare the way, and so they were to follow this angel, and there was conditions to this covenant, and that's what you know I because I'm going to be talking to our youth group about the law tonight and what it is. You know, with the law is they were already saved by the redeeming grace of the Lord and his mercy. They were in this covenant. He was just establishing the conditions of the covenant. And it was not just that, you know, they had to, you know, live by these things to be saved. They had to live by them in faith. And it's the same with our walk. And so he's giving all these these covenant um, conditions and how to live set apart from these other countries. And we're going to see that, that he is warning them not to worship the other gods. He He's setting this up so that they do not, they learn to be set apart. He was wanting them to live set apart from the whole world. And it was, you know, a part of his redemption plan because this is where the Messiah would come through. And so he was setting these people apart and for a covenant relationship with him. And that's the same way with us. We, in as believers, we are set apart. You know, when we are saved by the blood of Jesus through God's redeeming grace and mercy. And we're set, you know, saved and because of that, because of our faith in Jesus, you know, we have God sets us apart and we live a different way from the world. And, you know, in this relationship, it's not our works that makes us saved. It's, you know, because of, you know, us being saved and, and having this relationship with the Lord that we want to be living and setting, you know, setting our, ourselves apart from, from the world. And so he's continually telling them, you know, not, you know, that you're going to drive them out. One of the things he does say is he's not going to drive them out in a single year. And it's because, you know, he was taking care of them. They making sure they're not overwhelmed. But also, I think he was also testing them to see if they would, follow his covenant if they would follow the conditions i think that was a huge thing i think it was a test to see what they would do and um and all of that and help them to build their faith as they conquer these people one by one and i have to do the research on this but um there was an evangelist that was saying when you look at the root names like what their meanings of like the the names of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There's a meaning to their name, and um, I still have to look that up, and I'll be probably doing that later and sharing that on the podcast about what the different names mean, and it's like something that they had to conquer. So I heard that, and I gotta check that out and see if that's true. If see what their names mean if that's what they were conquering so he's he's doing this 
And then he, he confirms the covenant. And one of the things he wants is Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel to come and worship at a distance. And then he calls Moses up alone to approach the Lord. Um, and that's where he's going to give him all the, the law, the, the tablets of the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments. And he's also going to start, you know, giving, you know, going over the law with just Moses. Now, Moses does take jo or Joshua with him. And, and he goes up to the mountain of God. So, like, Joshua got... I think this was, like, huge for Joshua to come up there. I don't think he was totally there. I think he probably left him at a certain point to wait. But Joshua, like, got to see a lot more. And I think that, you know, really worked in his life to prepare him for, you know, for for the journey ahead, you know. And I think it increased his faith, you know, just to be out there in the presence of the Lord. Now, you know, what, before he goes up, the covenant is confirmed through the blood. And so we see that Moses takes blood, sprinkles it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so this was sealed through the sprinkling of blood. And it's, you know, it indicates the atoning sacrifices were necessary to maintain their relationship with God. You know, blood signified cleansing and forgiveness made possible by means of a life sacrifice to God. Um, and that it was a way for reconciliation and the people's obedience that comes from, from faith. And this was realized when Christ shed his blood on the cross and established the new covenant. Um, his sacrificial death cleanses believers from sin as they seek to walk in the way of holiness. Um, you know, obedience and blood um, has to always be joined together to validate God's acceptance of his people and their consecration to him. So, that is how, that is what happens. And so then he goes up and we start seeing the Lord starts laying out this this um, offerings for the tabernacle. So that's a part of why the people had to get stuff from the Egyptians. It was one, you know, because they had worked for years without wages. But two, there was stuff that was given to them that was going to go to this tabernacle. And they had to get it from the Egyptians who had the nicer stuff. <laughs> And so, these things were going to be set apart, you know. And this tabernacle, it, you know, we have to look at what the Bible says about it. And this tabernacle, it was a sanctuary. It was a place set apart for the Lord to dwell and, and meet with his people. Um, his glory was over the tabernacle day and night. And when we're going to see when his glory moves, that's when Israel moved. And that's how he guides them in, in the manner, in this manner while they're in the desert, when they're on this journey. Um, it was the tabernacle of the testimony. It contained the 10 commandments that, you know, and those were a reminder of God's holiness and his demands. And 
you know, our relationship to God can never be separated from the moral obligations of his holy law. Um, it was also a place where God provided forgiveness of sins through a, a blood sacrifice. And it pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross for the sins of the human race. And I think probably later on in, in this podcast, we'll actually go deeper into the different furniture and everything, like how it's made. Because there's a lot that points out to Christ. There's actually a class that I want to take where there was like a life-size replica of the tabernacle made and this evangelist goes through and you know goes over the tabernacle and all the different like the different meanings behind it and how it points to Christ. And so that's something I want to do in the future for this podcast, but we're going to kind of just go over the basics right now and and finally it it's pointing to heaven. It's you know that it was a heavenly you know, it's pointing to a heavenly tabernacle. So this was an earthly place, but it was a tabern. It was pointing to a heavenly tabernacle, where Christ, who is our high priest, our eternal high priest, lives forever to pray for us. And it, it's also pointing towards God's final redemption when a new heaven and earth, new earth will come. And so, that's pretty much as we're going into the tabernacle, what it's talking about. And when they talk about the ark and the chest. This was a box and it was, it was a chest that contained the 10 commandments. It's going to contain a jar of manna. It's going to contain Aaron's staff. And it was taught by a lid and it was called the atonement cover. And, you know, it was placed and it was covered with two carved lean cherubim. And it was placed in, in the most holy place of the tabernacle. And it represented the throne of God, which the high priest stood once a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle blood on the atonement cover. And, you know, that is for that the atonement cover and the blood is foreshadowing the forgiveness available to us through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Um, and, and the two cherubim, they rep represented God's presence and kingship among his people on earth and their placement on the ark testified to the truth that God would remain on his people only as long as blood sacrifice was made and the people lived in covenant obedience to God's commandments. So that's pretty much it for Exodus. And as we continue on, we're going to see a lot more of the, the furniture and talking about how the tabernacles to be made, how it was to look, and all of that. I don't know how much in detail we'll talk about that, but we'll probably pick, pick out points and stuff. And probably later on in the podcast, we'll talk more about, we'll just go and do a study of the tabernacle and explain it a little bit more. And so continuing on into the book of Matthew... So we get into Matthew 23, and we're just going to talk about Matthew 23 today. This is still day three of the Passion Week. And what has happened is, you know, he's been challenged a lot about, by the religious leaders. And this chapter, he starts going and, and you know, 
he's he's denouncing the 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 hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Um, you know, he's directing against his words here are just against the religious leaders and the teachers. You know, and it was because they had rejected a part of the revealed word of God and they were replacing it with their own ideas and interpretations. And I think as believers, we have to be very careful of that, that we don't replace God's word, what it was intended for, with our own ideas and beliefs. And we see a lot of churches that are walking on shaky ground because they are interpreting things or they're saying, oh, this has nothing to do with today's society anymore. And they're allowing abominations to come in and, um, and they're tolerating, you know, sinful practices and all of that. And, You know, and so this is what's going on. And that's the thing. And like he really goes after the Pharisees. And that's just because the Pharisees, um, one, they were more com- common. You know, they were kind of the common middle class people. And what it was is they were taking things of the law and or and p- making the, their own interpretations, adding to it and putting it and making it equal to God's word. And that's not what God intended. And so they were living religiously. They didn't, they, their heart was like, they lived outwardly, but inside their heart was not there. It just wasn't worshiping the Lord. And, you know, when we see here the spirit of Jesus, you know, He's not tolerating and accommodating persons who persons who outwardly appeared righteous in their religious performance, but who were unrighteous in their personal lives. He confronted their hypocrisy and sinfulness. He was he was confronting that, and you know, like John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets, he was denouncing sin and corruption among those in positions of spiritual influence. He was holding them accountable. And as believers, we have to do that. You know, there are people that they call themselves believers and they are not, you know, living righteously. They're living however they want. And, you know, or they're living with a religious spirit. (laughs) and all of that. And so we have to really confront things like that and, and constantly remind us that yes, God is loving and forgiving, but we also ourselves have to, we have, you know, we have to turn away from our old lives, our sins and, and walk forward in what he has for us. And we see, you know, that Jesus's love for the honor of his father and the integrity of God's word and his righteous indignation against those who dishonored God and distorted his word by their practices. You know, we see it and it's so strong because he's using words like hypocrites, son of hell, blind guides, fools, greed and self-indulgence, whitewashed tombs, full of wickedness, you know, snakes, brood of vipers and murderers. You know, they were severe and condemning 
but they were spoken with a broken heart. You know, Jesus's heart was broken at what they were doing. It was, you know, and he's the one who died for those to whom they were addressed. You know, he was dying for them too, you know. And, you know, he's describing their character, um, you know, as those who seek to be popular and important and noticed by others who love honor and titles and who keep people out of heaven by their distorted gospel. And they appeared to be spiritual and godly, but they were really unrighteous. You know, you know, they were speaking well of godly spiritual leaders of the past. They spoke well of Moses. They spoke well of Abraham and, and Samuel and, and David, but they did not follow the practices or their commitment to God and his word and righteousness. And we as believers, this is commanding us to be aware of such false religious leaders. We have to watch that as, as believers because there are religious leaders out there that try to add on to the yoke and put us back into the yoke of, of bondage, you know, and we're, we're to refuse or support their ministry, you know, when they're doing stuff like that, you know, and, and so this is a huge warning, you know, and, and we see, um, and he's so broken about it. And we see that he says, you know, how often I have longed to gather your, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under our wings, but you were not willing. And I mean, think about that imagery that, you know, he's trying to be this loving person, caring, putting them under the refuge of his wings, but they're refusing and, and all of that. And so because of that, He's like, okay, you know, you're left desolate and, and all of that. And so he's, he's pretty much just saying, you know, because they refuse to accept it by faith, you know, accept him and to see him as the Messiah, he is, he's still going to go to the cross. He's still, you know, going to die on the cross and be raised from the grave. He's still, you know, going to command his disciples to go out and make disciples of the nations. And it starts, but now it's, you know, either Jew or Gentile that is going to, to, you know, be part of this plan of salvation. And so we see that all going on and, and all of that. And that's pretty much chapter 23 in a nutshell. And, um, at this point, we'll, the next podcast will probably go through all of 24. I don't know. We will see as we go. I try to plan these out because for one thing, it's the Olivet discourse and it's very detailed because it deals with end times. And I'm going to admit end times is not my strongest suit of, of discussing, you know, I'm more strong in spiritual warfare, gifts of the Holy Spirit and all of that. And, and, and talking about that, that's more my, my niche (laughs) 
And so a lot of this stuff has been outside of my comfort zone. I've had to do research and which is great. It's, you know, making me dive deeper into the word. So we will probably, I don't maybe have 24, just like the parables, you know, having it its own separate bonus episode. We will see. I will see as I go and, and make my outline. So, and as, you know, I let the Lord lead me, you know, because the Lord was leading me with the bonus episode on the parables to do that separately on its own. And so that's it for today for the next reading. For the next reading, um, we are doing Exodus chapter 25, verse 23 through chapter 27, verse 8. And in Psalm 22, verses 9 through 18, Proverbs 4, verses 5 through 6, and then Matthew 24, verses 9 through 28. And um, pretty much that's it for today. And I just want to end with a prayer. And I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, Lord. We just give you the glory and the honor, Lord. We just thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace and that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, I just pray that you would just touch us, Lord. And if we, if our hearts have been hardened to you, Lord God, I just pray that you would forgive our sins and that your Holy Spirit just come in and give us hearts of flesh, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we would just, you know, listen to your voice and, and you know, just rejoice in, in the salvation that you've given us and the joy that you give us through the blood of Jesus, Lord God, and the redemption that we have, that we are forgiven, you know, at the foot of cross, you know, we're accepted. And that Lord, you know, every sin is washed away. We're forgiven. And I pray that Lord, and we just thank you that, that you have forgiven us. And we just rejoice in that. Lord, let your word just continue to give revelation to us. And we just thank you in Jesus name. Mm -hmm.